here we are. So we're in the book of Luke. We're working our way through it. We're going to end on Easter with the resurrection. So we're coming away like bit by bit. Next week is the triumphal entry. We'll see that in the second half of chapter 19. But today we're in chapter 18, and we've been watching Jesus as he is gathering his followers. He says there's a kingdom upon us, the kingdom of God. Jesus is king, and those who make Jesus king of their lives are part of the kingdom. And so he's gathering his people. We're going to see that today. And today in our story, there's five different people that actually choose to follow Jesus. Now, this is a profound little section that leads us well into baptism where people will profess their faith in Christ, that they are following him, and I think we'll all find ourselves in this story, in these five different people. So let's start in chapter 7, 18, verse 1. We find, first of all, this person who was unjustly treated. Ever felt unjustly treated? I think you'll connect with this person, perhaps. I'll read verses 2 to 5. It said, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And so here's this woman that's been mistreated, unjustly treated by others, sinned against, and she turns in this parable to this unrighteous judge, and she wears him out. So much that he finally relents and goes, okay, I'll give you justice. And the point is, really, that when we're sinned against, when we're treated unjustly, to turn to God, who really does care about us. Like if this unrighteous judge will take care of her needs, what about a God who loves us and deeply cares for us? He will surely give us justice in his time. And so we are to come to him. We all have a God of justice. We need to know this. Sometimes we like to talk a lot about his love. But he is a God of justice. He hates sin because he hates what it does to us. He hates the, the mistreatment of people because of the harm that it does to our souls and our spirits. It deadens us, harms his creation. He is right in being a God who hates sin. It hurts us. It harms us. And so he invites us as people when we are mistreated or treated unjustly to call out to him in persistent prayer. Psalm 62.8 says, pour out your heart to him. Psalm 56, 8 has this very endearing idea. It says he stores up our tears in his bottle. Like he remembers when we've been wounded and hurt. He cares deeply about us. And so don't lose heart in your place where you've been treated poorly by somebody, but come to him. And I think this is the question. Like what do you do with your wounding? What do you do with the hurts? What do you do with the mistreatments that you experience in life. Uh, a few of us on staff were driving along uh, this week and we came to one of those crosswalks in Sugar House and the lights flash and so somebody's going to cross. And here comes this lady. She's probably 80 years old and she's got a cart in front of her with a couple wheels that she's pushing. And you know what was on that cart? Toilet paper and two cases of beer. <laughs> <laughs> like it was really quite a scene. And she was making her way across this crosswalk. And I thought kind of this week, like, 
if only we could see the scars behind that woman's face that we just were watching and, and saying, why would she need two cases of beer, right? There was some wounding there, I'm sure, right? And the question is this, what do we put in our cart? Like when we're going to go recover from things that have been done to us, what do we put on there? Like, right, is it beer? Is it ice cream? Like, or is it Jesus? Jesus has come to him, call out to him. He wants us to bring our broken heart to him. And, and nobody was more unjustly treated than Jesus. Perfect man acted in perfect love in every way and was abandoned and falsely accused and mistreated, scorned and ridiculed and mocked. He understands how you and I feel when we are mistreated. And he wants us to come to him and bring our hearts to him for healing. And he reminds us, 1 Peter 2 reminds us, 22 and 23, it reminds us, this is what Jesus did. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, there is a God who will settle every account at the end of the day. And we are to take our wounds and our hurts inflicted on us by others and give them to God and realize that he in the end will make everything right. And we trust him. So that's the person treated unjustly. There's a second person that shows up in our text this morning. And this is a person burdened by sins. Look at this, verses 9 through 14. I'll read 11 to 14, actually. It says there was a Pharisee, first of all. These are two people. There's going to be a Pharisee that's going to pray. And then there's going to be a tax collector uh, that prays here. And let's look at this. Here's their prayers. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. This man, this tax collector, he was ashamed, he was broken, he was humbled by his sin, he felt unworthy of forgiveness. And yet he calls out to God for grace, desperately calls out to God. And we need to know that God is eager to answer that prayer. When we feel that moment of burden in our hearts, when we have done something wrong one more time, right? And we all do, even old guys like me keep doing the same dumb thing I've been doing for 50 years. Why is this? I need mercy. I need grace. And we call out to God, and he says, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, and he then is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Furthermore, he says a couple verses later, my little children, isn't that great? Like we come broken and he calls us children. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate, someone that stands with us, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
So in our broken place, he treats us like children. Like whenever, when children come up to us, when we were raising them, right, they come up and ask forgiveness. We are so quick to wrap our arms around them. That is God times a thousand toward us. He is eager to forgive and he's eager to help even when we have done something wrong again. We, we had a, our oldest son was always seemed like in trouble. And uh, his name was Carl. And... Uh, so he calls us one night. It's, it's midnight. We're in bed. It's dark, right, outside in Nebraska. And he says, uh, Mom and Dad, I'm lost. I'm on the Platte River, and it's dark, and I can't see. And I don't know where I'm at. I'm going like, why did you get yourself on the Platte River at midnight? He's in his kayak. He's in his little this kayak, this blow-up kayak. And he's out there. He goes, I'm, lost. I'm in the dark. Will you come and get me? Well, you don't know where you're at, so we don't know where you're at, and the Platte River's about 400 miles long. So how are we going to find you? And so, sure enough, you know, we get our flashlights, we go up there, and we get to the river, edge of the river, pull off into the sand there and off the road and start yelling. We know approximately where he is, I think, and we're yelling, and we're throwing our flashlights around, and, well, finally we find him, you know? We just want to kill him. Like, what are you doing? Like, stop doing this to us. So... But this is like the, the heart of a parent. Like, we love him. We were so glad to find him and rescue him, right? And forgive him one more time for your stuff that you keep doing to us. And this is, this is God's heart toward us. Like, we would have done anything for him, right? If we were in, on the Amazon, we would have come down and found him. But, but whatever it takes, we come to him. That's our God toward us. And not only that, not only does he call us little children and treat us like children, that he loves us that much, but he says he's our advocate, that means our lawyer, our defender. He defends us justly. It says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, which means we have been declared not guilty based on his death on the cross for us. It's a legal decision that now we stand holy in righteousness. We take on the righteousness of Christ when we believe in Jesus. Our sins are paid for at the cross, and we now have an advocate who defends us when the accuser, the devil, says you are guilty one more time. Isn't that great news? We are forgiven. And so there's a person that was burdened by sins. Now we see this next little section. Children coming to Jesus. Look at this, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. So I want you to see this is, this is a precious thing. God loves the little children, right? All the children of the world. We've sung this from our own childhood if you've been in church. And he draws them and invites them to come to him. And may God fill up our church, and has, we're thankful, with little children that run around and are rambunctious and noisy and loud, even in the service. We love them. Bring it on, right? right? Make it noisier yet. We want them here. And that's because that's Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is toward the children. And even today, if you're going to baptize seven, three of them are, are, are children, and uh, these are children that have personally believed in Jesus and accepted him as their savior. 
and they have a heart to follow Jesus. Isn't that great? To be able to say that, don't you wish you'd started following him when you were a little younger? Given your life to him even as a child? Many have and have that testimony even today that I followed Jesus from a child and I'm still following him. But this text tells us that we are to enter the kingdom of God like little children. In other words, we're to have the simple faith and trust in Jesus that a child has, even as adults. I, I write it, the first thing I write is I pray to God every morning, I am yours. Just a simple little phrase, I am yours today. Just give myself to him in trust. So, that's the children. Now we see, um, we come to a person who is a person of great wealth. Look at this, verse 18 of chapter 18. It says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he's coming and he's asking Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? That's the most important question you can ask. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I've kept from my youth. He's feeling pretty good, like I'm a pretty good guy. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So here's this rich ruler. He kept all of the commands, at least many of them, from his childhood. He thought he was good. Jesus corrects that by saying only God is good. Jesus saw through to his heart. And he says, you need to go sell everything you've got. You've got a heart issue with money. And he walks away sad. See, Jesus knew in his heart that this man had made money his God. Money was his idol. Though he had obeyed many rules, he was still making money what was first in his life. And so Jesus tests him. And he's testing him. Like, do you really love me? Do you really want to follow me? Here's the test. Oh, you who love money, he says to him, give away everything you've got. Now, now this was designed specifically for him. Like, this is not Jesus' command to all of us to do the same. But it's a test for this guy. He needed to have his heart exposed. He was holding on to his pocketbook, right? And it's really easy for us as Christians to sort of give our lives to Jesus but hang on to something that we just keep for ourselves. You know, in, in the Crusades, this very dark time in Christian history, uh, when people were in obliging ways being baptized, they would be baptized in the water, but they would hold their sword out of the water when they were being baptized so that they could go and slaughter people after they were baptized. It's a sick thing, right? But we do this sometimes with our pocketbook, right? I'll be baptized, I'll go under the water, but I'm going to hold my pocketbook right out here, right? I'm not giving that to Jesus. This was this guy's problem. When Jesus comes to us, he says, I want all things surrendered to me. And this was a hard command. It was a real test of his heart. And look what Jesus, verse 24, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so Jesus says it takes a miracle for us who are wealthy to give ourselves and surrender everything to Jesus and say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And, and frankly, whatever your background is, whatever is your love that you're tempted to put ahead of God, it is a miracle in our hearts when we say to God, I will give everything to you. I will follow you. I will walk in your ways. Interestingly, in chapter 19, we come to another rich man that gives us sort of a... Um, a comparison, his name was Zacchaeus. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? If you've been in church over your life, Zacchaeus was this short little guy, right? And he wanted to get to Jesus. He had a heart for Jesus, and so what did he do? Children, what did he do? Anybody know? What is Climbed up the sycamore tree. That's right. Climbs up the tree. And there he sees Jesus, and Jesus sees him. And Jesus says, get down from that tree and come and follow me. And it says that Zacchaeus did it with great joy. And then it says he gave away half his wealth, even without being asked by Jesus. And then he said, I will pay back four times everybody I've cheated. Now there is a heart toward Jesus. And he just surrendered to two. Now I want to ask you this. Who ended up happier? The rich man who held on to his possessions or Zacchaeus who gave them away? Zacchaeus, way happier. Yeah, nice job there, Anders. Way to go. So Zacchaeus ends up happier. See, trusting in money is way overrated, right? Those of you who had investments in Silicon Valley Bank, right? It's way overrated. We know this is $100 billion are being pulled out of banks this last week. It just isn't someplace to put your trust. Put it in Jesus. Well, finally, now, <clears throat> we see um, a person in great need. And we see this in verses 35 through 43. <clears throat> it says, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. And band, you can come on up. A blind man was sitting by the road begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Here is a person in great need. He's blind and he is poor. And he is calling out to Jesus for help. Right? And they said, now be quiet. Not, just go to the back. Get back. No. And he kept calling out. And Jesus says, what do you want? He goes, I want to be healed. This is a prayer of faith. He called him son of David, which means you are the Messiah. You are the Redeemer. You're the one who saves us. You are our only hope. And it says in verse 42, And Jesus said to him, 
recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He called out to Jesus, and Jesus is always willing when we come with humble hearts, calling out to him to answer. He is able to answer and willing to answer whatever our prayers might be. But we need to remember in this story of the gospel as we see these healings and we see Jesus uh, forgiving and drawing people to himself, now today, we'll celebrate this on Easter and Good Friday, that every good thing we have, every blessing that we have, comes through the cross of Christ. That Jesus died on a cross and took our sin and took our guilt so that when we put our faith in him and give our life to him, we are completely forgiven and given his righteousness. And God now no longer comes to judge us, but he comes as a God of love and frees us from our sins. And in and through the cross, as people who are under that blood of Jesus and washed clean, everything he does for us is for our good and for our blessing as people who are loved by God. Jesus died to restore us to God, to heal all the broken places that we see in all these people alive, to bring hope and redemption to everything that is in our broken path. And he asks all he wants of us is one thing, and that is our faith, to trust him. To look away from ourselves and look to him as the one who can answer our most gracious, deepest needs in our heart. He says, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn to me, trust me with your anxiety, trust me with your concerns. Look to me, look away from yourself, you are not the answer. Jesus said, I am the answer, you trust in me. And so he invites us today to bring all of our concerns and our anxieties our frailties, our fears, our doubts, our sicknesses to him even this morning. And, and I want you to notice, of each of these five people that we looked at in this text, all of them came publicly and said, Jesus, I need you. And even when the public pushed them away, they said, no, we need Jesus. And they came and they said, we need Jesus, and they did it publicly. Not ashamed that Jesus could help. And so this morning as we get ready for baptism, I just thought we would just take a moment of prayer together. And maybe you're saying this morning, I'm sure many of you are, I would be one of them. I need help, right? I need some mercy today. I need some God's grace. I need an extra measure of his help this morning. Maybe you've been treated with injustice this week. Maybe you've committed that sin one more time this week. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you've got financial crisis. I don't know what it is. But something is weighing on you and you just need to stand before this group of people and say, I need Jesus' help today. If that's you this morning, you want me to, I'm just going to take a moment, just pray for you here. You don't, won't go beyond your seat. But if you want us to pray for you this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. These people did it publicly. They stood and said, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. Be courageous. And I want you to see many are standing now. Let's pray for these people. These are our friends. These are people we love. This is why we do this in community. Notice those who stand and pray for them. You know their names, many of them. Pray for them. Ask how you can pray for them even as they leave the service. 
God honors our humble, our humility as we stand before him. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for these people that are standing. You see their hearts. You know they need your help, as we all do. Father, I do. God, give us grace, Lord. Meet their needs, whatever their heart cry is. Minister to them today. Show yourself strong. Show them how much you love them. And Father, we just thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares for us. So much that you sent your son, Jesus, to show us your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to come to a time of baptism now. And this is an exciting time. These are people who have given their life to Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus gives us the command in, in Matthew 28. It's often called the, the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations and then to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do this. These are people who have accepted Jesus as Savior. This is the pattern we see in the Scripture. And after you believe in Jesus, you are baptized. And so these are people who have confessed Christ, and now they want to publicly say, I am following Jesus. This is an exciting and big step. And then the picture that we have is they are baptized, is we are dying to our old ways and ourselves, go under the water, and we are coming back to new life in Christ. It's just a picture of what has happened in their hearts and in their lives. And so we are excited to have these people come and share this morning.